Restored Gospel Podcast is happy to present Stories of the Saints, Episode 10. When I was a seven or eight-year-old boy living in Bradner, Ohio, I, re- I remember very uh, vividly one day my dad came home. In his hand, he had a stack of coloring books and storybooks. Those books were stories of the scriptures, and it helped the scriptures come alive in a way I could understand them, and I I used those growing up to learn more about God and Jesus and his plan, and I know thousands of other saints did the same as well now as their children and even their grandchildren. Those books were written by our guest today, Sister Louise Clark Gregson. When I started Stories of the Saints, I had this guest in my mind as someone that I wanted to interview, and yet I knew that uh, she would not know me by name if I if I reached out to her, and so I put it off and put it off, and finally uh, some mutual friends helped get in contact with her, and she agreed to share her story. I was well aware that, uh, being 97 years old, that her voice, uh, we needed to take it easy, and I was concerned about talking too long, and so I wanted to really focus on uh, things that... Um, Things that maybe we wouldn't get in her book, even though I don't know what that may be. But every time I asked her if she was doing okay, she just replied yes with a thumbs up and just keep going. And so we got over two hours of conversation. I'm just so blessed to uh, that that happened. And so this will be a two-part episode. I know you will enjoy it. I know you will hear her love for her Savior. There's something about sitting across from a lady who has told stories for so many decades, so many years, and to still see the tears flow as she is moved upon by the Spirit and the knowledge that her Savior loves her and the love that she has for Him. That moves me, and I know that it will move you as well. Enjoy part one with uh, Sister Louise Clark Gregson. Share with our listeners um, how old you are and what uh, you've been doing for the last year. In May, on the 24th, I will be 98 years old. You were here today because of your belief in Jesus. Oh, yes. And how important Jesus Christ has been in your life. He has spared my life so many times. And so last year, I thought, I need to praise God for that, and I need to let other people know how many times throughout my whole life God has intervened in times of sickness, in times of danger. The Lord has been there, and sometimes... I felt all alone and that God was not near, but he was. In the, in the beginning of your book, you talked about um, your family coming across the ocean and coming to the Hawaiian Islands, and that's where you were born and where you grew up. Yeah. I was just curious, you went so much into detail, you even had the captain's name of the book, I mean, of the boat that they rode on. How did you have that information? And like, have you been a historian your whole life and written stuff down? Or how does that work? Well, you know, today there are so many people who get into genealogy and the history of people and All these things were out there, but they were not compiled, you know, until one day one of my relatives decided that our family should have a reunion, and so she got all this material ready. And so that was how it was made available to me. Louise, tell me your earliest memory of Jesus. When did you become aware of Jesus and uh, your thoughts on him? How Do you remember your earliest memory? Well, I became really aware of him 
when we moved from my birthplace on the big island of Hawaii from the coffee lands and moved to Hilo, where my father had been offered a job as a policeman. And while I was there, uh, there was a Seventh-day Adventist lady who got in touch with my mother, and she started taking us to church with her. And my mother knew that this wasn't the church that she was looking for because she had had an experience when she was eight years old. In her vision, she saw Jesus Christ dressed in his white garments, walking along the seashore, and in her little heart, she said, I want to wear those garments that Jesus is wearing. And the words came to her, Somewhere upon this earth, you will find the church of Jesus Christ. She never forgot that. And all through her growing up years, she kept looking around for that church. But the two churches that were most prevalent were the Catholic Church and the um, Mormon church. She didn't want any part of the Mormons. She knew they believed in the Book of Mormon, and she didn't like that book because <clears throat> it taught polygamy, or so she thought. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to be a Catholic because... She didn't like <clears throat> she didn't like praying, um, praying with beads, and she wanted a God that she could talk to herself. She wanted to have a conversation with God herself, not through another person speaking for her. So she kept on looking for that church. So she let us go to the Seventh-day Adventist church, and that was all right. And the children were very nice to me. We got along fine. But we moved from our present location and moved next door to the Kamara family, who belonged to the church with a long name, the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so the girls came over and said, we want to take you to church tomorrow with us. And Mama said, no, they're going to the Seventh-day Adventist church, and Mrs. Sickle will come and pick them up on, on um, Saturday. I was so disappointed. I wanted to go to church with the Kamara girls because they were so nice. See, when we moved away from Kona, we left all family behind. That was 250 miles. We never knew when we were going to ever see them again. And the Kamara girls just made over me, and I just enjoyed that. And so <clears throat> that day, when I went to church at Sabbath school, the little girls who had been so nice to me were not nice. One of them just pinched me and pinched me. 
She pinched me so hard, I cried. And she said to me, Why do you come to this church? You do not belong here, and your parents don't come to church, so you don't belong here. And she kept pinching me. So when I came home from church, Mama looked at me and she said, What's wrong with you? And I said, The girl at church just pinched me till I cried. And she told me I don't belong there. And why do I even come to church at all when you and Daddy are not members of their church? And Mama said, You know, that little girl is right. You don't belong there. Tomorrow, you will go to church with the Kamara girls. Oh, I was so happy. It was worth every pinch that I got. And so the next day I went to, to church, and I was the only five-year-old. I was the only child in Sister William's class. Her husband was the missionary to the islands. And the first lesson that she taught me was about Zion. And I said to myself, I have never heard about this city of God called Zion. I have never heard about it before. I am so interested in God's city. And this city was filled with people who loved each other. And they were such good people. They were so righteous that God took the whole city up into heaven. But he promised that one day he would return with this holy city. And that's why the Lord's Prayer is so important, because when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, and Jesus said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. Now, Jesus taught that prayer, and so everybody knows that prayer. But very few people associate that kingdom with Zion, the kingdom that God took up unto himself because the people were so righteous. And he promised Mama about this kingdom of God. And so that was my first lesson on Zion. So you went to the to the RLDS church because of your school children next door that invited you and you heard about Zion. What did you tell your parents when you heard this wonderful story? What what did you tell your parents after you heard about Zion? Did you go home and tell them? I went home and I went home and I told mama this wonderful lesson that I had learned about God's holy city and that we have to live in such a way so that uh, when God returns with that holy city, that we will be able to live in that city. And so Mama just listened I taught her all the things that I learned when I went to Sunday school. She couldn't go to church because she had little ones. 
she worked very hard in all of the work. Of course, the washing was all done by hand, and so she had very little time. But <clears throat> she... Um, one day had a wonderful experience. It was after the Book of Mormon had been introduced to her. When that Book of Mormon came into our home, Mama accepted it because she hadn't looked at the title. But after Sister Kamara left, Mama picked up the book, looked at the title, Book of Mormon, it said. Oh, she said, how can these wonderful people believe in such a terrible book? And she took the Book of Mormon and she put it up on a top shelf where she didn't have to look at it. Three weeks later, Sister Kamara comes back, and she says, Oh, Sister Director, did you have a chance to read the Book of Mormon? And Mama says, No, I didn't. And so she said, Well, I brought you another book that I think you like better. And so Mama says, Oh, what is it? And she said, It is called The Doctrine and Covenants. And Mama said, Oh, I love this title. I love this name. It's very good. So after Sister Kamara left, Mama opened it and she read the first part of the Doctrine and Covenants, first section. And I'm not quoting it verbatim, but it's, Hearken, O ye people of my church, said the voice of him who dwells on high, whose eyes are upon all men, even those upon the islands of the sea. And when Mama read that, the Holy Spirit just fell upon her, and she knew without a shadow of a doubt that this was indeed the church that Jesus had told her she would find upon the earth. And she was so thrilled with that. But she could not do anything about it. She was a Catholic. My father was a Catholic. And she knew how he felt about the Catholic Church. Once a Catholic, always a Catholic. There's no changing so she just kept this in her heart. She put that book of Doctrine and Covenants down. She went, pulled out that Book of Mormon from the top shelf, and she began reading it. And she just wept when she found the truths in the Book of Mormon, and more especially when she came to the part where um, polygamy was condemned by the Lord. Yes, even David and Solomon were polygamists, but that was the reason why the Lord brought Lehi out from Jerusalem so he could raise up a righteous branch of Joseph's seed unto the Lord. And here these people were starting to lust after other women, breaking their wives' hearts, 
breaking the tender hearts of their children. And the Lord said that, no, this is wrong. And so Mama just knew that this was the church of Jesus Christ. But there was no way that she could ever join this church because my father was a staunch Catholic and he wasn't going to change for anything. So she she had heard that because of the polygamy going on with the Mormons that she, she assumed the Book of Mormon um, must have talked about polygamy and supported it. And then when she read it, she realized that it actually condemned it. And, uh, and she knew it was true. And she, she knew the doctrine of covenants was speaking to her because they lived on the isles of the sea. That's beautiful. So, um, so you, you ended up being baptized, though, into the church, correct? Well, when I was eight years old, I went to my father and I said, Daddy, and I spoke for my brother who was two years older than me. I said, Daddy, can Sonny and I be baptized? And he said, no. And I said, but Sonny and I want to be baptized. He said, no. Once a Catholic, always a Catholic. I said, I don't want to be a Catholic. I want to be a reorganized Latter-day Saint. He said, no. So I was not too happy, but he didn't stop us from going to church. He let us continue to go. So I waited two years when I was 10 And I said, through one of the missionaries, I heard that the Kamara granddaughter was going to be baptized, and she lived about 40 miles away. She was going to be baptized on Christmas Day. And I said, Sonny, we ought to be baptized with Alice on that day. So I'm going to ask Daddy if we can be baptized. He said, yes, that would be good. So I went in and I said, Daddy, can Sonny and I be baptized on Christmas Day with Alice? And... He looked at me very sternly, and he said, no. And so I left his room, so disappointed. And I said to Sonny, I'm not going to ask him again until two more weeks pass, because that'll be the end of Christmas vacation. Then I'll ask again. And so I did. And when I went in to ask, Daddy was so tired of me already, always talking about baptism. He just got up from his bed and he pointed his finger at me, and he said, Young lady, he said, If that is what you want more than anything else in this whole wide world, you just go ahead and be baptized, you and your brother. Well, Sonny had had presence of mind for us to have our little bags ready with our clothes in it. When Daddy said yes, we hugged him, and we ran and 
picked up our hidden packages, and we ran to the church nonstop, a mile and a half. We ran to the church. When we got there, he said to the pat, and the font had been filled for Alice, but he said, Alice will not be baptized tonight because she had such a bad cold, and they were afraid if she came out and as rainy as it was that she would get pneumonia, and so they canceled. But my brother and I were baptized that same night, and right after that, we had the Christmas program. So we were blessed that we were able to be baptized. That is amazing. So excited to make that. Mm -hmm. You were so excited to make that decision that you had your bags packed already, yes. ready to go. That's a good lesson on uh -huh. on faith, knowing that. I, um, Louise, I'm very aware that I don't want to wear out your voice talking, and I'm very I'm a, I'm appreciative of your time, and so I'm purposely leaving out some things um, in your book because I know people can read your book mm -hmm. and and fill in a lot of the details of of how many brothers and sisters and mm -hmm. your parents and things like that. But I just wanted to focus today on you just sharing your love for Jesus and his love for you. And there is something that um, many people, I think, will find interesting, and that is you were living in Hawaii when Pearl Harbor was bombed, correct? Can you tell me about that? Yes. Yes. I, the night before... I had said to my husband, tomorrow morning, I'm going to church early, so I will not awaken you. I'll let you sleep in, because I'll be back in the afternoon. And so I just got ready and slipped out the door and when I got to the corner, I saw two of my friends, and they were looking, shading their eyes and looking towards Schofield Barracks, which, by the way, the crow flies, it would have been about three miles away. And then they saw me, and they said, Where are you going? And I said, I'm going to church in Honolulu. Oh, don't go. They said, the Japanese are attacking us. I said, what? They said, the Japanese are attacking us. And she said, look at Schofield. Do you see those great big puffs of black smoke? I said, yes. She says, that's the Japanese there. And one of them was Japanese. This woman, and Japanese don't talk against Japanese. And the other woman, her husband was Japanese, and he was the head of the post-exchange in Schofield Barracks. So she said, do not go. They are attacking us, Louise. I was saying, they are. And just then, about a block from where we were standing, this plane came zooming around, and I saw with my own eyes, it was an avocado-colored plane, small plane, one pilot. the red insignia, the rising sun. And they were so clever. You know how they got to our military bases? They came in with the rising sun. 
There were two mountains, Kole Kole Pass, and it came like this, and it formed a valley. They came flying real low through there and got right to Schofield Barracks and Wheeler Air Force Base. And so when I saw that, I said, yes, I believe Japan is attacking us. But I'm going to church anyhow. I'm going to worship the Lord. So <laughs> I got on this taxi. It was, The driver was a small fellow, and he... Um, Always, whenever I rode his taxi, he was always cross and grumpy. This day, he was smiling. He had a big smile on his face. He was elated. I got in his taxi, sat right in the back of him, and I thought, when we pass Wheeler Air Force Base, I'm going to look carefully and see if I can see this great big puffs of smoke like in Schofield Barracks. Well, the, from the highway, Wheeler Air Force Base extended about two miles inland before... Um, and and I could not see. I just could not see further than that, except that I did see big puffs of black smoke, but nothing else. And I thought, oh, they've gotten our planes at Wheeler. So then we went down Kipapa Gulch, and I thought the next important place is Pearl Harbor. So I'm going to watch real carefully. Well, as we were going down Kipapa Gulch, a Japanese plane came, and he began strafing the highway, hoping he could hit us. Well, this Japanese taxi driver let go of his steering wheel, and he was going, Banzai! 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 Three times. And I was sitting right behind him, and I said, You traitor! Shall I hit you over the head now or later? (laughs) (laughs) I was so angry at him. And uh, he was just as elated as could be. He knew what was happening. And when I reached down to get my purse, because I was going to slam it on his head, I was sitting right behind him. And I looked down, I saw my protruding belly. My child would be delivered in Two months. Oh my. And I said, no, I cannot do this because we'd all get killed. We'd all go over the cliff if I injured this man. So I thought, I'll watch for Pearl Harbor. And before we got to Pearl Harbor, I could see it was a beautiful day blue skies and everything, but not at Pearl Harbor. The skies are darkened. 350 planes flying over Pearl Harbor, dropping all her bombs on our ships. We had 95 ships in the harbor. Pearl Harbor was on fire because there was so much oil leaking on the water, 
And so it was on fire. And I thought, oh, my. I looked, and the battleship Arizona must have been only about, oh, I would say maybe half a mile from from the highway. And I saw that bomb that was dropped, and the ship just kind of tilted, leaped up in the air, and sank immediately. And I said, oh, Lord, the thousands of young men that have gone down with that ship, and they don't even know what hit them. And so that was my memory of Pearl Harbor. You saw the actual Uh, bomb. You saw the bomb hit the... hmm? You saw the actual bomb hit that ship. I saw the actual hit. Oh, my goodness. On the battleship Arizona. And so my heart wept within me, but no tears came. And I thought, these people, they have... They have fooled us again, you know. Here the man was in Washington, D.C., talking peace. And here the imperial navy and battleships, uh, I mean, uh, <clears throat> they, they were attacking Pearl Harbor while their minister was talking peace in Washington, D.C. So, of all the places that I was going, it was to the Japanese branch that I had planned to meet my brother. So I had to transfer from the taxi to a bus, And while I was on the bus, this Hawaiian man came up to me. And, of course, I looked very young. uh, People always thought I was younger than I was, you know. He came up to me and he said, Young lady, where do you think you're going? And I said, I'm going to church. He said, yes, everybody's running to church because they're scared. Uh, The Japanese are attacking Pearl Harbor. I said, I know that. I came right through it. And I'll have you to know that I'm not going to church because I'm scared. I am not afraid. I go to church because I'm in the habit of going to church to worship God. Well, he felt really bad, and he apologized to me. Then, by that time, I got off the trolley and walked to the branch, Japanese branch. So when I got in the church, I made my observations. My brother was teaching the class. All the people were listening to him teach. And as I observed them, I saw that they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know we were being attacked. So I waited till my brother finished his class, and he came, sat by me, and I leaned over and I said, Sonny, Japanese are attacking us. I said, Pearl Harbor is destroyed. All our battleships are on fire. Pearl Harbor is on fire. The water is burning. 
with all the oil slicks. And he said, oh, no wonder. He said, a dud dropped behind my house and it didn't explode. So he stood up and he said to the people, my sister just told me she came through Pearl Harbor and the Japanese are attacking us. Pearl Harbor is on fire. Lots of destruction, lots of people hurt. Oh, those poor Japanese people. They were such a... They were such wonderful brothers and sisters, and they couldn't believe that their mother country had come and attacked Hawaii like that. So everybody decided that they would go home. And me, instead of turning my steps homeward, I thought, I'm going to visit my aunt. She lives 10 miles further away. So I got on the trolley again, went, knocked on her door. She opened the door and saw me. She almost screamed. Girl, don't you know there's a war going on? I said, yes, I know. I came right through it. You came through it and you didn't get hurt? No. So I visited with them a little while, told them about the terrible destruction at Pearl Harbor because my aunt's husband worked at Pearl Harbor. And he couldn't believe when I told him the destruction that had taken place with all the battleships and everything. So after I was there for about two hours, I said, well, I think I better go home now. My aunt said, you're not going anywhere. She says, the um, martial law has been declared. Nobody's supposed to be on the street. I said, well, can I use the telephone and call my husband and let him know I'm all right? No, martial law prohibits you from using the phone. So I just resigned myself and that I couldn't go home, and so I started helping the family. They had recently um, put on a new roof, so they had tar and they had black paper and everything. We just black-outed all the windows because no lights were to shine forth that night no lights at all because it would show the enemy where we were and if they returned we would have been wiped out and so I helped them to do all that covering up the windows and everything So it was about nine or ten years later that Brother uh, Israel A. Smith came to Hawaii to visit. He had been to uh, the South Sea Islands, and then he stopped at Hawaii. He was preaching. We had a conference. He suddenly stopped in his preaching, and he said, Have you ever wondered why the Japanese never returned? 
because if they had returned that night, they would have wiped Hawaii off the map. And uh, so we just sat there. Uh, I know Mama and I, we were spellbound, just sat there waiting for him to say more. And he said, the reason why the islands were spared is because of the handful of righteous saints that live here. That is why the islands were spared. And I thought about Sodom and Gomorrah, how Abraham had bargained with the Lord. Lord, if there are 50 people that are righteous, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And the Lord said, yes. Then Abraham must have been counting up how many righteous he knew. And he said, how about 45? And then 40, then 35, then 30, then 20, then 10. He couldn't think of 10 righteous families. And so he said, Lord, what if there were 10 righteous family? And the Lord said, for 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. Well, you know that Abraham couldn't come up with 10 righteous, and so those cities were not spared at all. But It made us wonder and think about how good the Lord had been to us to spare the Hawaiian Islands. It was such a mess. There was so much destruction that when you looked at it, you couldn't even see that any work that would be done would even make a difference. But the Hawaiian people and uh, uh, the military and the workers at Pearl Harbor, they worked around the clock. They worked around the clock And in just a short time, it was probably only a few months that ships were seaworthy again. They were out sailing the ocean. And so all the time that the people were... um, Repairing the ships, they had the theme songs that they sang. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. And so they did it. They repaired it, the Pearl Harbor. They repaired the ships. And I think by the end of either six to eight months, Every ship they repaired was seaworthy again. That's amazing. It, it was marvelous. How was your relation? How was your relationship with the Japanese saints as they saw the destruction? Was it uh-uh. was there a conflict or was there love that continued between you? Well, for me, my heart just went out to them because they were not guilty of the conspiracy. Their parents were the ones that came from Japan, from the mother country. The young people, 
As soon as that happened, the next day, they all had English names, where before we called them by their Japanese names. They all had English names. So secretly, in their hearts, they had a desire, and they knew what name they wanted to be called. So they, that's how their names came about. That was and their name, choice? That was their choice? Their, their choice. So they sided with, I'm an American. This was and not, then okay. the, the Japanese men, the young men, they wanted so badly to serve America. But America was very suspicious of them. Didn't know whether they could be trusted. But these Japanese young men came to them over and over, begging to be able to serve with the Americans. And um, so finally, they gave in and they made what they called a 442nd battalion, not battalion, anyway, there were troops there. They sent them to really bad places, uh, you know, because it seemed like there was so many nations in the world fighting. They sent them to these difficult posts. Those men came back with the most medals of honor for serving America. And it was, for me, it was very touching because they're good people. It's just that their leaders are always so greedy and Japan had the same idea like Hitler that they were a superior race. They were going to conquer the world. The world was going to serve them. And so that's not God's idea. But they made names for themselves. They were, they were heroes. Heroes.